This week on episode 47 of the Driveline RD podcast, we have special guest Dr. Barton Smith, mechanical engineering researcher at Utah State and more famously known as the pitching seam shifted wake expert. We talked about how Barton got interested in the idea of seam shifted wake, the best pitches to take advantage of it, how to measure it without having Hawkeye at your disposal, examples of pitchers who take advantage of it, determining who should attempt to use it, and much, much more about a very interesting topic at the forefront of pitch physics and pitch design discussion in baseball right now. Barton is an incredibly smart guy and explains these concepts very well. You're going to like this one. One last note, you may benefit from viewing this episode on YouTube since Barton shows some example grips and demonstrates some of these ideas with a baseball on camera. Enjoy. Traveling R&D Podcast, Episode 47. This is Alex Caravan, Traveling Baseball Manager of Data Science. Drinking a very strange beer, basically a hazy sour that has 4.2%, so I convinced uh, Brady to drink it. Lindley? Uh, Lindley, sports engineer, Traveling Baseball, ripping another dry January water. Let's go. Apologies apologies for the uh, anyone watching live right now. I had to move around all the tiles because I had them messed up, so everyone everyone's name was not matching. Uh, but we're good now. I'm Anthony Brady, uh, driveline baseball sports scientist, biomechanist. Yeah, drinking the uh, hazy sour ale. Ooh, passion fruit, guava, and coriander. I haven't had a hadn't haven't had a sour in a while, so excited for this. And then we have today's special guest, uh, Dr. Barn Smith. Drinking his own homemade beer. Uh, Bart, great to have you on, man. Thank you. Cheers. Pour so so I was going to say, right off the bat, I was just going to address the um, maybe a little bit of maybe a little bit of bad blood. I think Kyle Lindley still still uh, still <laughs> oh, holds a yeah. grudge on getting knocked out by you in the bracket, man. Yeah, you, you and Pitching Ninja. It's a tough uh, touch, tough matchup to. Uh, sorry to about that. It's all good. It's all good. I pulled out all the tricks I had in the book. Anthony came out from uh, retirement to to give me a shout out, and that still didn't do it. So didn't stand a chance against pitching to, ninja. To thank Alex for doing that. I think it had the effect that you were hoping for. I mean, it, it introduced me to a bunch of new people, and uh, already some new stuff going on as a result of it. So thank you. Yeah, and it got that shirt going too, which yeah. uh, which which no joke. I just put an order for three three uh, wake and bake shirts. So. Uh, I mean, it's been it's been a minute since I wake and waked and baked, but we'll see what happens when the when the shirt rolls through. As far as, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, starting off with uh, j- just like you know a general intro that I know you've you've probably talked about a bunch, Bart. But you, you kind of want to give quickly your background and how you got caught up in in you know new research that's basically got anyone who's who's very involved in baseball saver metrics or just baseball research as a whole kind of consulting your blog post and and address, like you know considering you an authority on the subject so uh yeah take, take it away uh, well uh, a couple of years ago um well my son was starting baseball and and uh i wanted to i just asked the question how does why does a two seam move differently than a four seam that was basically the start of it and uh i got a lot of answers and if you you know, I think it'd be fun exercise to go out on the web tonight, pose as somebody other than yourself and ask that question and look at the answers you get. They're, they're ridiculous. And and uh, so that got me interested in the topic. And I realized at some point that we could 
um, make some measurements and find out some things about what was going on. I, I was uh, <coughs> following uh, Trevor Bauer's claims to the Laminar Express, which took me to Driveline, which um, uh, uh, kind of got us uh, hooked up. And then uh, several folks, Kyle, uh, Eric Jaggers and Dean and, and Joe Marsh came out. And, and uh, I, you know, prior to that, I didn't really understand that pitch very well. And uh, um, so that that really put us on the road. Yeah. And um, and as I don't need to tell you guys, um, it's an onion. You know, the more you peel it back, the more mysteries there are. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I, I just I, I really can't express how how much fun I've had trying to solve this. And I don't think we're close to having it solved. Yeah. We, somebody we've made a lot of progress, but we're still not close. Somebody went through uh, an engineering program. I'm really curious to like kind of hear. We don't have to get super uh, far into it, but I, I'm curious to to hear how you like got into engineering, what your original research was, and like kind of how you knew you had the tools to measure uh, such a thing. With like you had this question about tune tune forcing pitches, so um, like how did you know you could go into the lab and and start measuring that stuff? Whew, that's a good question. Uh, my, my research is so boring that I won't even describe it. I, 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 met, I do fluid mechanics measurements, fluid dynamics, which um, I always have to explain to people means either gases or liquids. Hmm. And fluid mechanics is really cool. And aerodynamics is kind of part of fluid, in, fluid dynamics. And uh, it's, it's generally more of an aerospace engineering thing. And I'm a mechanical engineer. And so um, I've never concerned myself that much with aerodynamics until we got into this. Um, but getting to your question, how did I realize we could do it and that it would be a good thing to do? Um, I realized that the, most of the studies on baseballs have been done in wind tunnels. And I have some opinions about, I, I think they're great studies and it's a great way uh, to, to study baseballs, but it's not sufficient. You really need something where you actually see the ball moving um, for a lot of reasons I won't get into. And I realized that uh, I came up with some ideas about how to make that happen in the lab. And I had a student working on it. Um, the student was an undergrad and he get, got some other interests and kind of dropped it and left a bunch of electronics in a drawer. And uh, one day I had a new student. He's, uh, he's, his name's Nazmus Sakib. I'm going to shout him out. He's from, uh, from, from uh, Bangladesh. And um, I said, hey, uh, he needed something to do. I'm like, why don't you see if you can get that thing to work? And he had it working in a day. And uh, that really kind of enabled the whole thing. And, and uh, we've been doing it since. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically the story. Wow. And you're referring to the, to the machine, basically the pitching machine that you, that you used to launch the, balls. The, the machine, Nasmus used a three wheel hack attack machine, the same one okay. a lot of places. Yeah. And, um, it turned out that, you know, and that's what we were still using that when, when driveline visited us. And, um, you can ask those guys about the story about us nearly putting a ball through my machinist door with it. <laughs> yeah. I heard and, about it. <laughs> that, that hole is still there. Uh, he was very unhappy with us. Um, but uh, uh, that was a problem because, it, and I think uh, I noticed this is one of the topics you wanted to cover, but three-wheel pitching machines destroy baseballs. And, and uh, so that was, that was a big issue. Uh, eventually, um, uh, I was uh, Washington State University, Lloyd Smith in the Sports Science Lab nice. out there, who are the people that do all the bat certification. Yeah. They lent us a cannon and, and funded a student, uh, Andrew Smith, for a year. And uh, that's what really, uh, that was a big deal. Because now and then uh, at the same time, the Atlanta Braves, Mike Fast gave us a whole case of baseballs, of Major League Baseballs. So we started doing measurements with pristine MLB balls. 
And um, that uh, that changed everything too. And I, I just recently started going back and looking at that old data that was done with old high school balls from a pitching machine. And the, the results don't match anything we're seeing right now. So yeah. it's definitely was a problem. That makes sense. Yeah. The uh, the driveline trip to out to see you, that was like around this time, two years ago? in November. A year ago? Two years ago. Two yeah. years ago. 2018, I think. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. I was actually... I, I was bummed I couldn't uh, go on that one because it's actually it's actually really close to where I grew up. I grew up in Idaho Falls, just like oh, okay. just north. Yeah. So got checkers. Yeah, exactly. I'm very very <laughs> familiar with the uh, Logan and northern northern Utah area. So played a lot of a lot of baseball down there growing up and back and forth. Um, but that uh that so that trip got started. Um, basically, you, you mentioned the group Jags and. Joe, Dean, <clears throat> Bodie coming coming out to kind of like just like throw off. that pitch, right? To try to throw yeah, the, 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 the idea was they're all going to come down and throw the, you know, they yeah. threw 400 yeah. balls that day. We got exactly. three data points. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, <laughs> the, 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 the spot they needed to hit in the air was about that big. It was about, you know, 16th of an inch thick and about eight inches wide. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. So it was a long day. They were champs about it. Um, and, uh, you know, we got three data points the whole day Three so again points. going back to the to the machine being able to put the ball exactly where you want and to take the pitcher's release out of the equation is a really really big deal to trying to study this stuff yeah it's hard it was, humans. was the can the cannon that you guys got sent to you was that just that that allows you to manipulate the spin uh differently yes right what mm-hmm. and then then a three-wheel one do you want to talk uh, about that no it, and- it's really the same it's just easier uh so uh, I, I do need to, we probably should talk about one of the major limits of it and any other machine that's on the market right now. It can't throw gyro, neither can a hack attack or any other pitching machine that you go out and buy at a sporting goods store. So, uh, and that's that was a big problem for us trying to demonstrate seam shifted weight because almost all seam shifted weight pitches require gyro. So it, it took us a long time to do it. Um, but more it gyro. Uh, I need to explain that. No, 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 no. I was, I was saying I did the oh, more, more, I did the, your pin tweet. Yeah. <laughs> Have you considered more gyro? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So sorry to step on that awesome line. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, the, the, this machine has a patented tip to it that I, I just talked to the creator of it yesterday. He'll sell you the cannon for about 14 K, but it doesn't come with the tip and the tip is a, uh, it's a cheap device. Uh, and, and so it's patented. Um, and then you'd have to pay a royalty to 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 get that. And it's it's a just a it's a really cool thing that um, one side of it's sticky and one side of it's uh, slick. And so when you put the ball in it, it spins on the slick side and sticks to the other side. Mm. So it spins. But what's really cool about that is if it's pointing at you like this, and that's going to be a fastball. All I have to do is stick my finger on it, turn that thing 180, and now it's a, now it's a curveball. Oh, nice. So nice. yeah, it's just really neat. And really repeatable, and uh, it's been it's been a linchpin to everything we've done. Nice. Do you, you want to uh, kind of before we get too deep for people that might have tuned in without a great background on stream shifted wake? Do, do you want to talk about what that path was? Kind of you understanding stream shifted wake better and being able to express with like a broader audience how people like kind of slowly came on board and and I guess just a general overview of what stream shifted wake is and how it compares. Just a uh, Magnus Force. 
Yeah, I'd have to talk about some of the missteps. And if you, you know, I've left, I left my full blog there. Every post that we've ever done is still there. And sometimes I think I need to go back there and make it more clear which ones are wrong. Because they're the, the early ones, especially back when I was, um, you know, when, when Driveline came out, I, I really misunderstood what was happening. Uh, so Bauer's initial idea was that you can throw a ball so that there's a big smooth side mm-hmm. that's spinning and staying in one place. And he thought that oh, that's, that's going to be laminar. And therefore, it's going to make the ball turn a certain way. And I struggled with that a lot because um, it seemed like it made the ball go the wrong way or any argument could make that way. And I actually, um, I was sitting in bed one night working on my website. My wife, I was complaining about, you know, this doesn't make any sense. And she said, maybe it's the seams on the back of the ball that matter. And that's it. You know, wow. so it's, I never told her that it's really her idea at that moment. <laughs> But wow. uh, it's it it is kind of like if this ball is coming toward you, this seam right here is in the lo- the very small location where seams matter. And when you throw that Bowers pitch, that laminar express, having this big smooth side here means you have seams on the opposite side that are causing the action. So to get to your question, how how did this progress, and how did we get to the point where we convinced anybody of this? So I put about twenty wrong theories out there initially. Uh, I'm very happy and lucky that guys like uh, Kyle Bode and Eric Jaggers and Rob Friedman, um, for some reason, thought that I was onto something and continued to support me. Uh, you know, in the, in the especially on Twitter and things like that. Um, and then we get in the lab and and we can't make it happen. We're firing balls and it's just like this never happens. Mm-hmm. And it seems like we'd wander into it at some point and for not realizing we can't wander into it because we can't throw gyro. So we uh, we're prohibited from doing the one thing that can make this happen. We got so desperate at one point, um, and this was not that long ago, that my students and I got in the lab and I, I said, I'm going to make a ball break. Uh, and I, I scuffed it. I, I put a big scuff on one side of it. And sure enough, it broke like two feet. And there, oh, you yeah. know, well, yeah, we, <laughs> something happened. And it was shortly after that that we came up with what we call a looper, which is a, a seam-shifted weight pitch with no gyro. And it's, uh, uh, I always have to explain to people, I don't advocate trying to throw that. You should throw it with gyro because you make it work better, but it's a way to do it. And uh, so um, th- that took us to uh, several months ago. And uh, when the Hawkeye data finally became available to the public, or not to the public, it became available to baseball perspectives and Harry, Harry Pavlidis. And uh, we were able to write an article uh, just that followed yours by like a week. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not even sure. None of you guys wrote that, right? Um, I, I, I helped edit it. It was mostly Christian Hook okay. and then myself and Dan edited it with Dan okay. doing more of the editing. Yeah. And it was a great article. And, it, you know, it really, I think the two articles complemented each other. Well, I was a little disappointed that uh, we were we were second. But um, it was when those two come out and, it, and it's like, this is real. It's really happening. And you can see tangible evidence of it in the MLB. Yeah. Since then, it seems like the skepticism is kind of drifted away. And I don't really have a hard time convincing anybody of this anymore, it seems. It seems. See what you did <laughs> I know. It's hard to stay away from that word. <laughs> and, and, and do you want to, yeah, I was going to, I was going to mention that, like, that's one of the things that stuck out to me as well, because like I've like I've mentioned, I've been I'm definitely not the most clued in person at driveline on Steam Shift Awake, but I've done like a, a fair bit of research on it and been around other people that know more than me and I've done more research. But from, from my point of view, I've I've seen people initially be like really skeptical, even like sometimes like almost like abrasive online. And yeah. then and then and then like you win those people those people over to your cause 
So, so I've always been like really impressed by how you've handled it as well. Since just like clearly hasn't been easy when yeah. there's, there's an established community and there's tons of papers and research on Magnus movement and Magnus movement already can be like a pretty complex theory for most people that aren't like physicists or have a great understanding of, of movement. And then you like bring in this new non Magnus movement and then everyone's kind of like either, either playing catch up or almost sitting on their own throne of, okay, like this is, this is what we know. We would have known this ourselves. It's, this is like a real movement. Yeah. Let me, but let me comment about that. So my first introduction really to the baseball community was uh, Sabre seminar in 2019, I think in, in Boston, I went, I went there at Alan Nathan invited me to, to, to participate. Huh. And it was quite, I mean, I, I, I was totally blown away by how awesome that community is. And I met a lot of people and they were, you know, at that time, all we had was ability to measure stuff. We, we hadn't shown yeah. any effects uh, on anything yet. And I, I, I presented what I think can happen. And I was just kind of surprised at how open-minded that community was to it. Um, the folks that, you know, were especially skeptical usually were looking at data that they believed contradicted what I was saying. And uh, eventually we've discovered that that, um, that there was just a simple misunderstanding of what the data was saying. And, uh, and so we got through that. So I don't think there's any controversy about it now. Um, there, uh, the, 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 my, my collaborators like to say non-Magnus movement instead of seam shifted wake movement. And we've agreed that I'm going to say seam, I'm sold. And there, you know, and I find that the, you know, I, if I were, if I were, I probably should not be, so I should be the biggest skeptic because, you know, everybody was happy thinking that it was all Magnus and I come, come up with something else. Uh, I should probably be the most open-minded about there possibly being something beyond that. But if there is, it's got to be pretty small. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty content saying seems oh, to yeah. wait. And then one question I wanted to ask that I, I think I think maybe is clear to some people, maybe not clear to others, but wh- why do sinkers make the most sense uh, oh, as like the yeah. kind of initial first pitch to use for seems to wake explanations? Uh, you know, that, uh, you sent that question earlier today, and I'm glad you did because I got to think about it a little bit. And it's a great question. And it has a great, you know, it has a really logical answer, I think. And the reason is people throw sinkers too seam. And, and so if, if, I, if I grab the ball and just, you know, with your typical two seam grip, I'm going to get a seam shifted wake if I throw it with some gyro. If I throw it less than 95% efficient, I'm going to get a seam shifted wake from that pitch. And then there's guys that have figured out, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put, put my fingers just over one seam like that, which improves it quite a bit. Uh, so you have something that naturally, you know, the, the way that any human being would pick up the ball, it works. And then if I riff on it a little bit, I can make it work better. Mm. Uh, that's led us to having, I, I computed, I think 93% of sinkers have a significant seam shifted wake effect. And then when you get to, so uh, then you could ask the next question, uh, I think would be, well, why not? What about change-ups? The thing about change-ups is a lot of people throw a change-up to seam. And those are all, I think those generally are seam shifted weight pitches too. And then uh, a lot of them are four seam. And, and some of those are, some of them aren't. And it, again, depends on how much gyro you get on it. Very interesting. So that's my, that's my story. <laughs> You were uh, you were talking about how a lot of people you you don't have as much of a problem convincing people about the seam shift wake now. Do you think? I'd be curious to hear your thought on like the current state of it and like where you like hope to go with uh, 
either implementing it or learning more about it or like what step of the process do you think we are there? Or do you think we're already to the point where like you think uh, people could start basically building arsenals around uh, around it and applying it 100%? I do. I, I'm very hopeful about that. So imagine this. Um, something more than half the pitches in baseball currently use this. Uh, and uh, so there's two problems with it. One is that I think a lot of people don't realize how what's happening and how it benefit them most to deploy it. Yep. I think that's a big, big issue. Uh, there's people that have mastered it. I, I like to point to uh, Kyle Hendricks as someone that's using it super effectively on different pitches. He uses it on his fastballs and on his changeups. He has two different fastballs, two different changeups. They're moving opposite directions because it seems, and I think he's doing a better job than anybody at that. And I think it explains why an 88 mile an hour guy that doesn't spin the ball, ball well is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, and I think we'll see more of him. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I was thinking about as I thought about talking to you guys, it's a very counter, I think, to the driveline, the typical driveline message. Mm-hmm. But I want to produce, I want to produce the information that's going to lead us to more Kyle Hendricks's. Right, um, right, the, yeah. so, uh, I'm curious what you think of that. And hopefully we can touch on that issue. Uh, but, uh, um, what's in the future, I believe very strongly that we have these pitches that people have found by accident because they start from, I'm going to grab the ball like this, or I'm going to grab the ball like that. Those are the, those are the, the two basic ways that people pick up a baseball. And almost all these pitches are some small perturbation from that. And if you free yourself of that, and you have a data set that says there's all these other possibilities, uh, which is what we're working on now, then I, I think that what I hope what we do is pass along a full set of all the possibilities. I call it the seam shifted weight map of the world. Here's all the things that you could do, all the pitches that could be done. And now you guys, guys like you got to go figure out how to get somebody to throw it like that. Yeah. Two quick questions that I think might be a little bit more technical, but I think are super interesting to talk about. So, so one of the ways that our article, and I think the Baseball Prospectus article you wrote as well, uh, established being able to tell seems to wake was looking at the observed, the axis deviation between the observed axis from Hawkeye and the spin inferred axis, which is right. calculated from the Magnus based equations that have been around for a couple of years now. And one of the, I mean, one of the points there is you kind of need access to either pitch level data or MLB Hawkeye data to, to be able to tell. Mm-hmm. So two, two questions, I guess. What would you recommend to someone who doesn't have access to that data as the surest way to tell seems to wake basically like a low tech way? And also what kind of access deviation, what's the magnitude of the access deviation where you'd, where you'd consider it in your mind a seems to wake? like 10 degrees, 15 degrees. Yeah. You're probably going to have to remind me of the second question. That's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, But the, to get, get to the first one, um, uh, remind me what the first one was. <laughs> <laughs> the, a, a low, a, like basically being able to tell. Oh, if, yeah. It seems to wake without having access to yeah, Hawkeye yeah. or MLB data. These, I mean, that's fantastic questions. These are really, um, you're really putting your finger on, I think, the important points. So um, if you're if you're uh, less wealthy than a major league team, but still pretty wealthy, like you're at driveline, you can still you can use a the, you can use a TrackMan to get your inferred axis and a Rapsodo to get your observed axis, and uh, look at the difference between those two. I, and and I've heard 
from folks at driveline that that's done. And I think that's, you know, if you have uh, what $20,000, that's a pretty good way to go. Um, that's most people don't. So what do you do? Um, I had a minor league player tell me recently, Rap Soto says that my two seam and my four seam are the same. So we dropped the two seam. And that's, a, that's a bit of a heartbreaker to hear, <laughs> be, you know, um, and it, you know, he said, my catcher swore that the two seam moved, you know, arm side more and the catcher's right. So I, I think that your first measurement system is your catcher. Mm. Uh, and, and when you see a catcher get thumbed, that's oh, yeah. something yeah. I always look for when I'm looking for seam shift awake video is to watch the catcher get surprised, especially on changeup. It seems like that happens a lot. So um, uh, that that's a good measurement system. Something I'm interested in doing, and I'd be, uh, I think maybe there's already interest at driveline, maybe you're already working on this, but I believe that a system could be built for pitchers that have some technical aptitude to video their pitch from directly behind release to try to get a, a, um, a trajectory of the pitch. Um, I do that a little bit myself. Um, I'm, I think smarter people than me could probably do it better, uh, build a better code to do it. Um, and I think that it's possible using something like that and just a drag model that says how, you know, basically you just have to model how fast the ball is moving away from you, um, that you could get trajectories that way. And that would, that would tell you your horizontal and vertical break. And from that, you could determine that, that deviation. So that's another idea. And, and then part two was, uh, what kind of axis deviation magnitude would you yeah. consider makes a seam shifted wake? Well, so if you're a pitch design person and, and you're, you're trying to, you say, hey, I'd like, I think 10 more degrees would help. Um, if, if you think 10 degrees makes a difference on your, uh, 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 on the observed axis, then 10 degrees of deviation makes a difference. So I, I've been using the 10 degrees, but it's, it's, it's an arbitrary measure. But I, I think that if you're a catcher or a hitter and you see a 10 degree difference of the movement of a ball coming into you, you're going to notice that. So that's where, I, that's where I draw the line. It's, it's pretty arbitrary. Um, sinkers, I see them up to about 35 degrees. You guys have your own data set, and I think, I think we more or less agreed on that. Uh, Four-seamers, I see them up to 20 degrees. So, um, that sounds right. Yeah. Do you think that pitchers – you mentioned how Kyle Hendricks takes, takes advantage of it a lot. Do you think that there are pitchers that consciously do this, like they know that this is no. what they're doing? Or do you think I it's don't. just like they mess with the, they mess with the seams – and these different things happen with the with the uh, pitch. No, yeah, not even Jared. Not even Jared Hughes. He definitely does. Yeah, he was he was the only one, <laughs> and that's just because we talked about it. He's a very cerebral guy, mm-hmm. very analytical guy, and uh, so he was the only person that I know that's ever done this on purpose. And I've I've uh, I, I hear things kind of second or third hand from various pitchers. I have indirect contact with uh, uh, Straley and. Uh, I've heard some things from Cranky and, uh, but so they don't think about seams at all. I don't think they think about grip. They think about how they're going to hold the ball and they think about what works and what, you know, again, feedback from their catcher that, that moved more. So do it more like that. Um, so I don't think we've entered an era yet where any, and I think if you approached any major league pitcher right now and said, Hey, you should try to take advantage of the seam thing. They tell you to, you know, I'm not interested in hearing that because I'm in the major leagues Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, what, I, what I've got going on is working pretty good. So thanks. Yeah. I had a question about, uh, so, I mean, typically when I hear seam shifted awake or see the pitches, 
uh, like typically we're thinking of excessive arm side movement, right? Like running away. Is there also the possibility for like additional cut? Yeah. Um, yeah. So two seamers are always going to have additional arm side movement and four seamers are going to have additional glove side movement. Mm. And so that's the, that's my, my claim of why Hendricks has these two different changeups. Mm. He's pretty, he's pretty high arm slot. And if you want, if you watch his sinker, it, you know, it moves like he's way out here, but he's up here. Right. And he, this cut, they call a lot of people call it a cutting changeup. It's, it's, he doesn't throw it that much. So I think people don't pay a lot of attention to it, but it, it moves almost straight up, you know, yeah. instead of, um, uh, you know, running to the side like his, his normal changeup. And he just simply, well, I've heard him claim that he pronates one and not the other. Yeah. But um, but it is it is a ninety degree shift of the ball in his hand. He throws the the cutting one four seam, and the other two seam. Yeah. Interesting. Br- Brady, you want to propose your uh, scuffed balls theory? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm still interested in that because thinking about like the the seam shifted wake applications to like recruiting, scouting, all that stuff going forward. Like if you if you understand the I guess like axis and efficiency or gyro degree of certain pitches knowing that like this person in pro ball or in the big leagues with a pearl is going to get way more movement than they are in college right now kind of a thing and how much like scuffed balls or like what level of ball abrasion i guess Mm -hmm. uh is going to like diminish the the like returns of sheem shifted wake movement yeah, I don't have any data on this, but I have a lot of concern about it. I think you're yeah. right on. You know, um, I, I think it's, and I've, I've years ago I heard stories of major league pitchers that were on the on the shelf essentially, or not on the shelf, but in the scrap heap, and got pulled off the minor league side. And all, you know, there was a pitcher on the Braves back in like 2010 who they picked up for five hundred thousand dollars at the beginning of the season, and midway mid season he had the best ERA in baseball. Yeah. And when someone asked what happened, he's like, I couldn't, you know, the, the minor league ball wasn't working for me. Yeah. And that, those stories keep me up at night. And, and again, you know, my son throws a 90% efficient fastball. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking this is perfect for him. And then I got to wonder, well, you know, by the time he gets the ball, exactly. after they throw it around the diamond for five minutes before they start the game, it's already beat the heck. Yep. And is there any point in trying to do this or not? And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember in like, I think, uh, 2016 or 2017 being at, at school. And I think one of the early Bauer videos or might've been a blog from driveline, honestly, talking about like, it was, it was one of the early laminar express videos and talking about that. And I was like, Oh, I bet I could like get a brand new ball, like Sharpie one, get another one and try to like throw it in bullpens. And I would throw a few and I, I felt like they had like more arm side run. And then I would, I would throw one and, you know, bounce it in the dirt or something and scuff it and just couldn't, couldn't get anything out of it uh, after yeah. that. Yep. Um, for what it's worth, I did a very small test on this about a week ago. I launched a knuckleball, three knuckleballs with a beat up Wilson 1030 and a brand new Wilson 1030. And they behaved about the same. They were <laughs> So oh. that, that and it, that was seventy miles an hour, and I yeah. did that because that's the level that my kids playing at right now. So. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, but it was six shots. It's hardly hardly proves anything. Yeah, I think it's a whenever um, you guys know Connor and and when he was throwing in his driveway in Pennsylvania, I I told him, hey, you need to get some new baseballs because I have no idea what's going to happen with these uh, torn up ones you've got. Yeah, 
Yeah. Do you think in, in any of your, uh, the early research that you did early on looking into seam shifted wake, the like quality of the ball could have affected that? Or did you typically use, you know, pearls and, and nice uh, you know, balls we, for most of it? Our, our first, until the Braves sent us baseballs, we were using a dozen Wilson 1030s that I purchased myself. Oh, wow. And we just beat the heck out of them. And, um, and like I said, I was just looking at some of that data the other day, and it's just like I don't see many of the patterns that we're claiming now. So there's a bunch of differences. You know, they have huge seams on them. Um, yeah. And, uh, also, they're, they're, they're beat up. So, um, uh, you know, and, and, and then if you have a single scut, I mean, the whole thing about a seam shift to wake pitch is you want something to happen on one side, and you don't want it to happen on the other side. Yeah. So if it's scuffed everywhere, it's just gonna it's just gonna have a big wake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. That's good. Uh, this is actually kind of a good segue into um, we got a question in the chat, and I I think this is kind of along the lines of what you were saying with this whole thing being like an onion and it continuing to just like develop into more questions and like some of the stuff you thought you knew back then, realizing not seeing it the same way. But uh, we had a question in the chat says, um, if you could please ask about the ongoing studies on how upstream seams affect seam shifted wake, not just those near the hemisphere lines. So I don't know if you can, you can speak on that, but, uh, I think I can. Yeah. It's, it's a really good question. Who, who asked that question? Um, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny yeah, Johnny R&D okay. for baseball cloud, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny's a smart guy. So what he, what he's asking is, is I'm going to say that the ball's moving this way. Um, and it's, uh, I'm looking at myself on the screen and it's pointing the other way. I always get confused about this. So the question is, um, does this seem affect this one? And I, and I think it does. Uh, does, does this seem affect this one? And I think, you know, a lot of people would say, well, the air is going to come on this. It's, this is going to make it turbulent, blah, blah, blah. And something's going to happen over here. I find that these seams on the front of the ball don't do much at all. The only thing that we care about really is I'm going to wrap my fingers around that ball, that region. Um, let me see if I can make that more symmetric. Um, there's a, there's a, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a term for it. I'm going to call it the active zone. And it's, it's a slice of the ball. That's imagine it going all the way around if the ball's moving that way. And that's all that matters. If seams are in there, um, they're going to, they're going to do something. If they're back here in the wake, they don't do anything at all. They have no influence at all. If they're on the front, I don't think they do much. It's just when they're on the top and bottom of the ball, or oh, okay, or this way, you know, here, when the ball's moving that way. I'm sorry. I I, I hope that uh, that it wasn't confusing as heck. But uh, that was good. So I don't. <laughs> I think that this is an area that can have a lot of subtle results because people tend to, and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get super um, techy now. But let's go. People think the flow flow is either laminar or turbulent. Laminar is an on and off thing. It's either laminar or it's not. But if it's turbulent, there's there's degrees of turbulent. And so I think upstream seams can, especially if they're close by, having an impact on that seam further downstream. And that's something that our current model does not account for at all. And uh, so we have a model of seam shifted wake called uh, Umba. If you've seen it, it's a Python code. And it is, is it's a pretty blunt instrument currently that uh, assumes that things like that don't happen, that, that all these subtleties aren't there. And uh, our next step is to try to work on all those subtleties. Gotcha. That's really exciting. As a, as a professor, do you get a bunch of students coming in and like <laughs> either just coming in to talk shop about baseball or like 
trying to come in and hopefully be in your lab so they could do baseball research or like what what is the interest level that you that you're seeing from uh, students at the university you would think right you, you, you would. <laughs> <laughs> um if you read my blog there's something in there about living in the vast baseball wasteland of utah and oh, that's no. that's for real we don't have a team at utah State. we have a club team but we don't have a um a uh what do you call it a we don't have a scholarship team yeah and um I've never even met anybody from the baseball team. I have one student, John John uh, Garrett, who is an avid Red Sox, or I'm sorry, Cardinals fan, and we let it, we let that go. He used to sit in the front of my class every day. I had 100, no, I had 80 people in the class. He'd sit in the front row in a Cardinals jersey. Oh, wow. I'd be, I'd be walking in with my Cubs cap, and, I'm, and I finally, after a while, I'm like, are you trying to piss me off on purpose? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he admitted he was. But uh, um, other than him, I see very little of this, and you'd think it's weird, but um, my, uh, collaborator at uh, Washington state, Lloyd Smith, who has this lab that is like a baseball fans fantasy. You walk in there and there's nothing but bats and balls everywhere you go. Yep. And he tells me the same thing. He doesn't get that many students that are interested in baseball working for him. Yeah. It's strange. That's interesting. I, I went to ASU and there's very little sports research going on. There were a couple professors that were doing, that had done some like in golf, doing some doing some hand and biomechanics research with uh, with the hands, but other, outside of that, there's very very little going on. So, yeah. I know that uh, a lot of students, like typically at ASU, there was there was a couple professors that everybody thought their research was awesome, and they were hoping to get into that that, that lab. That lab was the one to be in, and I was uh, I was wondering if that's how your lab was in. Uh, it hasn't been that way so far. I, I think I haven't done much to try to exploit that, and I think I'm going to in the future because I think I would like to get some students just turning the crank on some of this stuff because there's a lot of data to be taken. Yeah. yeah. After this podcast, it's gonna be another story, man. We get we get so much viewership yeah. in Utah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Really. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see. Actually, I, I don't know if we break it down by state. I, I know our. Our anchor stats say 94% U.S., also 90% male, also 82%, like 22 to 30 age dudes, which which I guess is uh, what you'd guess. Also, another question in the chat from uh, Bracket Champion, Michael Fisher. He asked about um, if you're interested in talking about Spencer Turnbull's uh, arsenal, like seems to have to wake arsenal specifically. Sure. So uh, Michael and I were talking about this a little Well, there's an article came out today from bless you boys, which is a, I think a, a fan blog for the tigers. Mm. And yeah. I actually opened that up. I opened it up right before this, this interview, but didn't have a chance to get through it. Very good article. Uh, I say very good article because it refers to me a lot, Yeah. but uh, uh, no, I think it's really nicely done. I talked to a, a radio podcast for the tigers a little while ago, had a really good time. And I, I, I grew up a tiger fan. So I really enjoyed that. And so, when we talking about the plots that you mentioned, where you compare the observed to the inferred axis. So basically how is the ball spinning compared to how would you think it's spinning based on where it goes? And um, if you do that and you compare forcing fastballs to sinkers and look for the guys that have the biggest separation between those two and, and, and the difference between those two angles, uh, Turnbull, Spencer Turnbull is one of the guys that turns up. He, uh, if you, I, I just did this a minute ago. In fact, I think I still have it on my screen. If you require a hundred pitches, uh, I think he's number six uh, out of out of the league. So, and um, and 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 Michael had pointed out that this guy has a four seam that seems to go straight up, even though he's a little bit over here. 
and 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 it does and it rides. It, it comes in at a very low approach angle, and that is a four seam seam shifted wake pitch. Uh, you, it's something that happens when you get your gyro angle or your or your efficiency down to. 90, I think 90%, something like that. So he gets less movement than he would normally, but it's directed in a, in a, in a different direction, and it's the opposite direction that you get on your, your sinker. So Turnbull is also a little unusual in that he his sinker actually does have a different axis than his forcing. He, throw, he, he somehow manages to, to tilt that mm. sinker down a little bit more, but then he gets the seam-shifted wake effect, pushing the two balls in two different directions too. And he's been a very good pitcher for them. Um, number one on that list is Brad Keller um, from the uh, Kansas City Royals. I always like to call him out because I'm hoping to someday get a phone call from him. Yeah. Hasn't happened yet. Um, and uh, and 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 I think you know most of the people that are doing this. Uh, my my friend Jared Hughes is another. Most of them aren't the super big names. Um, and uh, uh, Julio Turan, who's somebody that, that was a yeah. great pitcher for the Braves back when, is an, is another really good one. Sonny Gray is on that list. He's he's number three. So there are people you've heard of, but it's not necessarily um, the big dominant pitchers. Um, but uh, it, it does explain uh, a lot of why these guys kind of have this mysterious success. One hundred percent. I was just going to say, with, without getting too nitty gritty into it, um, one of the things that really excited us when we first started like having our own proxy for seems to wake measurement is that a lot of the pitchers that were high on that list were also the ones that we were probably underestimating with our own pitch quality metrics. Cause we have a, we have a bunch of, we have stuff plus we have like our kind of own pitch quality metric. And then we obviously, we, we try to validate internally as well. A lot of times across against like major league performance and, you know, Kyle Hendricks, obviously yeah. our stuff, our stuff plus metrics on, on him aren't that high, but he consistently yeah. puts up like low RA nine, XCRA numbers so he would be like a consistent person that our model like doesn't fit well and then I think when we when we factored in axis deviation three of like the top five uh biggest discrepancies between or, or you know or what, what, we, what we predicted from our model and what actually happened were were pitchers that were influenced by seems to wake including Hendricks was Lester on your list I think Lester was on our list too I have to I have to double check before I say anything too too uh concrete but yeah I've watched uh, Lester a lot, so I'm a Cubs fan, and, and you watch him, and you're just like, uh, you know, this doesn't look like it's going to work, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it works. You know, he's been he's been great, and I hear people calling him the best free agent signing for the Cubs ever, and uh, um, yeah, and, and again, you know, it, it's strange to me that for so long people watch guys like that and say, um, obviously, there's something we don't understand because this guy shouldn't be successful. Yeah, I, I was going to say, a, go ahead. Do you think there's a trade-off at all with yeah, this I, with this idea? Do you think that like yeah, if I you do. approach, yeah, no, I, I th especially on four seams, they move less than than it would if you threw it more efficiently. It's just in a different it, direction. It's in a different direction, and if that if that deception helps mm -hmm. you, then then you can get ahead. But uh, um, from what we've seen, somewhere between from from ninety five to ninety percent efficiency on a two seam, you can actually gain movement. Uh, and that's the, tr that's the Dustin May demon sinker, you know, uh, that's moving more than it would with just Ma Magnus. And then if you go beyond that, you get more axis shift, more deviation, but the overall movement's going down. Do you see a scenario where there might be pitchers who have a seam shifted wake and a non seam shifted wake type of pitch in their arsenal? Like say two types of four seamers that they throw, yeah. like, like, oh. like intentionally and consistently, not just, okay, one of them caught, 
some turbulent airflow, like just like, okay, th- this guy's more susceptible, susceptible up in the zone. So I'm just going to throw a very efficient fastball. Yeah. And this guy, like, you know, maybe I want more horizontal breaks, so I'll mix in my seamstress to wake uh, derivation of that pitch. I'm not sure if the way I've been searching for it would turn it up if it existed, but I haven't yeah. seen it. What I see, you know, I think people, if people are using it, they're going to use the two pitches to go two opposite directions instead of having one that's normal and yeah. one that, you know, because it's just going to, it's going to move it more. Um, I don't think there are many guys that have, and you guys know the more about this than me, that have control over their gyro angle. It's something that you work on, and most people are trying to push it higher. Um, but and I, if you go back and look at my predictions, if, if I'm successful, I think you're going to see outfits like Driveline teaching people how to manipulate gyro, mm-hmm. not just to maximize it, to say, okay, I want this one 90%. And, uh, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was kind of like leading almost uh, my, my question, because I, I have an idea about this, but I'd like to hear your opinion. Like one, one of the things that I just got really interested in, in the last 20 minutes is kind of measuring how quickly we can tell if someone is is actively manipulating their gyro angle and or how many pitches, how, how large of a sample would we need to be really confident in someone's uh, gyro angle, so to yeah. speak, like a, like a reliability measure. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, from what from the little I've been able to see, and I don't have I don't have access to pitch by pitch gyro um, measurements. Um, MLB is keeping that withholding that currently. Uh, you ha- you can get the average values from that the savant site yeah. as, as you saw this week, and that's a yeah. huge deal. But um, uh, I have seen evidence that some people that are using some seam shifted wake have a highly variable gyro degree, and that causes their seam shifted wake to have a very variable result. Um, so I, I think even Bauer's four seam fits this bill. So if you can if you make that inferred axis versus uh, observed axis plot for Bauer's four seam. Of course, it lies right on the line, but it's, it's round. And if you do it for Garrett Cole, it's, it's oval like this. And I think the reason is Bauer's gyro degree varies a little bit, whereas Cole's tilt or, or axis varies. And so uh, I, I think there are variations in this, and I think some people are more um, consistent with it than others. Um, the only person I've run into that says that they can, that, and I've seen evidence that they can manipulate this on purpose is Jared Hughes. He, you can ask him for 75 or 90 or whatever, and he can do it. Oh, wow. And which is one of the great things about working with him on this stuff, uh, last uh, spring. So, and, and I, I think we, we both feel strongly that there's a very strong relationship between the optimal orientation of a seam shifted wake pitch and the gyro degree. So you have to have those two matched up. And so if you want to explore the space, you really need to be able to manip- manipulate the gyro. So you think that uh, that's one thing that I was going to ask you, like, what do you think is the best approach to like practicing or finding, finding your pitch, like one that works best for you? And is that, is that a function of messing with seam orientation then also just trying to manipulate the, uh, I think it, the gyro degree or the efficiency? Yeah. Being an, a non-pitcher, I probably won't, won't go into that too far, but I, um, if I were coaching somebody, I would say, um, know what gyro is, know what it looks like, know what you're, uh, you're doing it one way or the other. And, uh, and then realize that the, you know, that the seams matter, the orientation matters and that an optimal relies on both of those things being synced up. Yeah. And I, right, you know, right now, nobody knows this stuff, right? And so the chances of anybody dialing it in, I think on their own are pretty slim, just unless 
unless they do have a really consistent gyro angle. And so then they can just riff on the, the orientation and, and, and find it. If, yeah. if, they, if their gyro degree is varying, which uh, actually is uh, Jaggers that told me this, that people that throw with uh, uh, rather low efficiency tend to vary a lot. And, and so, and, and if you're low efficiency, that's the sweet spot for seam shifted wake. So now if you are trying to figure out how to do that best, and your gyro is varying, the chances of you figuring out your optimal orientation become, that becomes a tougher job. Yeah. So what would be really nice is if you had a measurement system that said, this was your orientation, this was your gyro, and this was your movement. And now you can correlate all those things together. Yeah. That's going to blow it open when we get that. So, so, so what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on like, where do you think um, Rap Soto specifically like, com- like comes up short on that? Uh, well, I, don't, I wouldn't say they come up short. They, 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 they're in an excellent position. And I've said this a million times, and I, I know they know it. They're in an ex- excellent position to be one of the companies that really does do what I just suggested. They can measure orientation, I think. And maybe there's an aspect to that that I don't understand. I've never seen the raw data, of course. So, But they're, they're taking pictures of the baseball as it flies, and they're getting the axis and the uh, um, RPM from that. And if you have that information, getting the orientation seems small to me compared to that problem that they've already solved. So I think that they could report orientation. And, uh, and, and if I know they're working on, or they, I think they already have some movement, some actual tr- tracking. And if you put those two things together, you got it. Yeah. I think, you know, Rapsod or Yakker are going to have this shortly. I'm sure they're working on it. What what are your thoughts? I guess on, I mean, it, it's kind of a tricky situation in terms like the one tracking technology that we're using it all to base off of on a more um, you know verifiable level is Hawkeye, which is very expensive. Currently, only only instituted in MLB stadiums. Like you know, compared to how many other like rap sodas or Yakutex or, yeah. or track man or track man. How many how have. many rap sodas are out there? It's got. I mean, I, I don't have any idea, but it's a lot, right? I, I, I think I think I actually would be pretty fun to guess. I would guess um, I would guess like between a thousand and two thousand. I mean, we have one here in Longan, Utah. The gym my kid goes to. So <laughs> if we have one, I would figure everybody has. What I was going to say is, what's your what's your kind of your your interest level there of like either acquiring a Hawkeye, working with a Hawkeye, or like what what would you see that path as? Uh, Hawkeye, I think, is, you know, that's going to be MLB, and they, they're they going to – I'm sure MLB is interested. In fact, I saw a call a while ago for them. Uh, they're looking for someone to do machine vision work for them, and I'm, I'm positive that they're coding up how to get orientation out of their 30 pictures of the baseball that they take. It's, oh, yeah. I, think I, could, I think I could do it in a week myself if I had that data. Um, so it's, it's not a super hard problem, and it's a problem, like I said, that – that I know that Yacker and Rapsoda have already solved and, uh, and, and potentially others. So, um, you know, I think Hawkeye is always going to be MLB and MLB is going to want to roll this stuff out themselves. Yeah. So they're, um, they're never going to, I'm never going to be involved with that. I would love, and I've talked to both Yacker and, and uh, Rapsoda and I, I have a pretty good relationship and I, I could see something like that happening and I would be all for it because I want to, you know, your ideas are like your, you know, I heard Sting say this about his songs and I'm sorry to be cheesy, but he said, your songs are like your children. Your ideas are like your children and you want to see them grow up and do well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
Um, so sorry, I got a, I got a pup here. <laughs> <laughs> Another child. Yeah. So, um, so I think that the biggest impediment to my ideas becoming, um, you know, seeing their full fruition is a measurement system. Like I said, that I throw the ball, it tells me my orientation, my gyro and how much it moved. Mm-hmm. And I think once we have that, we'll also be able to say it moved this much because of spin and it moved this much because yeah. of seams. And you out. put all that data in front of pitchers, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Like, you're certainly going to figure it out, right? Yeah. If you had that system, you'd, you'd have this down in a week. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like there's a chance. Um, I mean, one thing I've thought about through all this, you know, talk and uh, discussing it is, um, and, and you even brought this up earlier, that there are a lot of pitchers out there who kind of just, have it already and don't know kind of a thing. And, and I do think that there is the potential for um, almost like training people out of that unintentionally by, by like bringing yeah. it to light. It's kind of like the, like the easiest way to give someone the yips uh, during batting practice when they throw batting practice is to just like ask them something about something that they already do, you know, like, Oh, why do you not lock your wrist out when you throw or like, Oh, you throw really good batting practice or like you throw really good front toss. And then all of a sudden, all it takes is like that kind of a like cue to them just get in their head and then start throwing like really bad batting practice, all that stuff. So I feel like there are some instances where you could like, you know, the, the, the wrong player, uh, uh, giving them this information, like, Hey, did you know that you have a seam shifted wake fastball when you do this thing? And then they, it's just like, I, I don't know what I do. How do I do that kind of a thing? Well, my own take on it, and, and I'm uh, I'm not a pitch, you know, not a pitching coach. People ask me coach questions a lot, and so it's, it's always kind of embarrassing for me because because I don't. But but if I were, you know, if I were dealing with a a team and had a, a, a bullpen of pitchers, I'd divide them between the high efficiency people and the low efficiency mm-hmm. people. And the high efficiency people, I'd say, hey, you know, God gave you a gift, go and use it, and yeah. blow some fastballs by some guys. Yeah. And the, and the other ones, I'd say, hey, you know, maybe we want to look at how you grip the ball. Yeah. And maybe you want maybe you want to throw your change up two different ways, um, simply by rotating the ball in your hand ninety degrees. And 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 so, um, that that's my take on it. Uh, I definitely take your point. Um, but I, I, you know, I alluded to it before. I'm curious what driveline baseball thinks of the notion that there's something to be said for people that throw fastballs with low efficiency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Like, I, I, I think driveline has been on the forefront of teaching people to te- pitch with high efficiency. Right. Right. right and, yeah. and it's had a great effect. Right. I mean, it, um, you know, you, you look at some of these, these fastballs going by guys high in the zone and it's obviously it's been really successful. So um, my my point is, well, I think there's a place for the other guys to play too. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah. you've seen pitchers, or I guess you've seen pitchers that struggle to to get that up there. That, that for whatever reason, it's not happening for them. Yeah, exactly. I think that's. I mean, Caravan could probably speak more to this, but in terms of like using some of our internal tools for the way that we go about pitch design sessions and kind of like trying to optimize your arsenal. Ultimately, it's geared around you know. Uh, it, just improving that arsenal and the way that it's going to play in the game. And there, I'm sure there have been times in the past where like that model has been incorrect or maybe not accounted for things. And we have like taken someone who maybe would have had a chance to throw uh, a, a pitch that would have been more, you know, affected by seam shifted wake 
and almost like increase the efficiency uh, out of that. But yeah, as we kind of like, if, if Kyle Hendricks threw 100% exactly. efficiency, yeah. he'd be dead. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he'd be thrown VP. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why, I mean, that's why this is, is, is really exciting. It's like another piece of the puzzle of mm-hmm. kind of like that, that player development picture. And so, you know, yeah. as, as driveline, just continually trying to make people better, um, uh, we'll adapt our, our models and, and directions too. I mean, I think that's one of the favorite things about like R and D at driveline specifically is, and we talk about this all the time. We're just constantly trying to prove ourselves wrong in yeah. what we do to try to change the way that we, we train and develop players. I just read about that. I'm guessing you read the same book range. It said that the people that are really good at coming up with new ideas are the ones that are constantly trying to prove themselves. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I need to take that advice because like I said, I've gotten a little smug about this and said, well, (laughs) yeah, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, what you said at the beginning really resonated with me uh, specifically, and I'm sure with everyone else, just about like, you know, as you get deeper and deeper, realizing how far it goes and also realizing you know, instances where you were wrong in the past or maybe thought thought a certain way, you came across a new data point and just being able to like uh, accept that and understand it and then like shift the way you're thinking, um, yeah. how, how powerful that is. I mean, we've done that on the, the biomechanic sides of things um, multiple times over and over, so. Yeah, I think you guys have done a good job of it. And, and what it takes, again, is a community that's willing to forgive you for being wrong. Exactly, and, and yeah. still think you have some credibility. Yeah, and I, I I remember early on in my um, familiarity with driveline, some uh, there was some issues with uh, walking back some older ideas, and I remember people picking on the organization. Yeah, and, uh, that's tough, right? Yeah, because that's what you have to do in order to make progress. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's definitely it. It's weird coming from like, you know, uh, like Lindley and myself back in school, like the institution, the university background of like, you know, that scientific background of trying to, you know, prove yourself wrong or like just just a foundational understanding of science and, and how that works. And then when you come to the baseball world, uh, it, it's a little different. It's a lot of confirmation bias and a lot of people trying to like prove themselves right. And so yeah. when, when new information is brought forward and you're like, oh, we were wrong, but that's actually a good thing. And here's how we're going to change. A lot of people are like, oh, well, three years ago you wrote this. And that means that it's like, yeah, well, we know something new now, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's not quite, uh, it just doesn't quite resonate. That that's a good is the most yet. powerful force in the universe. Yep. It, it causes so much problem. And exactly. I, I think most people don't realize that they are totally wrapped up in it. You know, yep. we all are. It's totally human nature to, to, to seek out something that's going to confirm what you already believe. That's why cable news has become such a problem. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's so powerful if you can free yourself from that. Exactly. Yeah. Not that I, you know, like I said, I I, I feel myself slipping back into it. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I need to watch that. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah, it's, it's a huge deal. I, I told the story before. I have a good friend who was my boss when I first started this, started the blog, and uh, I, I remember telling him that you know I had decided something I had written was completely wrong and. He was horrified that I'm putting that on the web. And he's, you know, we're used to peer review. You don't get anything out there yep. until you're really sure it's right. Exactly. And uh, this is a really a different mode for me. And I think it was the right way to go. I think it's led us to where we are. And I don't think I would have gotten there without input from Alan, Nathan, and Michael Augustine, and 
and Kyle Bodie and, and a lot of other people that said, Hey, but you know, I'm not so sure about that. Yep. So, um, and, and unless I say it, they don't know to criticize it. So, yep, exactly. Uh, we got a question in the chat, uh, that I think ties nicely with maybe another topic we wanted to cover, but we got a question from Tom Kim saying, what do you think is theoretically possible for the movement of a seam shifted wake pitch? And, and and I thought like I don't know if you want to answer this to or like generally rather rather specifically, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk about like specific pitch types besides sinkers. I know okay. I know you have some opinions on sliders. But two yeah. questions. Those are the two different questions, right? I, I'm coming at you hot bar with the two part question. <laughs> okay, I have to remind me of the second part of Kenneth's, but I remember the first part this time. So uh, how much how much can seams make the ball move is a really obviously a super important question. My current take on it, and this is, you know, this is a, um, I have a friend that would call this a rectal pluck. <laughs> Think about what that means. <laughs> but it, it's it's about a third, it can be about a third of what good Magnus spin is, what, what a good spinning pitch can do for you. You can do about a third of that. And and then the, the challenge becomes making that in the same direction or in a direction that doesn't conflict with the spin. In sinkers, about half of the seam movement is against the Magnus movement. And so it's actually killing some of your Magnus movement. I think it's possible, and you were asking before about what's the frontier. Frontier is making these things more in harmony so that you don't have that canceling effect. So um, a third of a good spinning ball, if your ball spins badly, now it becomes a big deal because seam effects don't care how fast the ball is spinning. So -hmm. if the ball's not spinning that well, then the seam effect can be a big, big deal. Uh, and the knuckleball is an extreme example of that. Knuckleballs are seam shifted wake pitches. That's yeah. one, one of the thing, one of the epiphanies I had about a year ago, and it's really helped me a lot. Um, okay, so the second question part did I did I cover that well? Or do yeah. you want me to go on there more? Uh, I, I, th- I think one third is a. I think one third is a good answer. Okay. I mean, yeah. This is something that uh, Alan Nathan's in, into right now, and he's been showing me some of his results, and that's, those are the kind of numbers I've seen. It's much smaller than Magnus. It's not insignificant. It, it is important, um, especially in terms of di- redirecting the pitch. Um, in terms of other pitches, um, from my point of view, I'm not a pitcher, so I think of the ball after I let go of it. I can throw them at any speed I want. So to me, a sinker and a changeup are the same thing. You know, And I think that that's, pitchers have a problem with that statement, but to me, it makes perfect sense. And when you look at the data, and look at the, and I'm sure you've noticed this too. The behavior, the seam shift away behavior, changeups and sinkers are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. They, you can hardly tell them apart. So changeups, everything I said, anything you say about a sinker is true of a changeup too. Um, anything you can throw your changeup four seam, and if it has gyro, it will behave like a four seam seam shifted weight fastball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that one's easy. Um, so sinkers, fast four seams, and changeups. Uh, yeah. So just I've been avoiding. Uh, sliders because I don't understand them. And I think I'm starting to realize that nobody else understands them either. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Uh, and if somebody hears this and says, Hey, I understand s- sliders. <laughs> I'm going to explain it to you. Feel free to give me a call. I'd like to yeah. hear it. But I, I do, th- I think sliders are really exciting in this sense because a high gyro pitch, like a slider has potential of the seams really to send it any direction you want. And I think that that's going to be exciting stuff. Um, and that's, that's really about it. I think, uh, um, splitters are, are just change-ups. Um, what I see when I look at splitter data is, 
a lot of variation. And I think it's just because the release is not super consistent and either the orientation or the gyro varies a lot. Um, what have I left out? Well, I, I was going to clarify, I assume you're kind of lumping in like cutters with low efficiency four seamers. Yeah. Cutters. I, I haven't even begun to look at cutters. They, they, I mean, it should be similar and less so than a, than a slider. So um, that's about all I know. When you, if you look league wide at sliders, it's a freaking mess. Um, yeah. but, you know, these kind of plots, uh, I, I joke, uh, a lot of them look like fireworks shows because the data just goes all over the place. Just today, I started looking, uh, narrowing down sliders by the ones that move well side to side. And when I do that, I get a pretty clear picture of that makes sense to me. Um, Sonny Gray, uh, Trevor Bauer, um, I forget, if I'm, I'm leaving some important guys out. Um, uh, Adam Adovino, mm, yeah. and, uh, and 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 those are seam shifted wake sliders. They they have a, they have that axis deviation that we've been talking about. And consistently, what I see is they take a pitch that should move more like a curve, and they make it move more more like a slider. <laughs> Not by more, just by in a different direction. They yeah, move sense. more horizontally than they should. Yeah. The, the reason I asked about cutters and and. Uh... I mean, I haven't spent enough time with this data as I would like either, but the table I posted yesterday when you when I followed your your tip on the download CSV um, mm-hmm. data frame, I, I I did some I did some rough axis deviation averages across pitch type, which I know like you kind of mentioned with stuff like sliders, like things are all over the place and there's like a good amount that won't class won't be classified as seem just awake. So I think the averages average by itself is a little bit reductive. But right. I noticed I noticed very high averages or axis deviation averages on cutters. Um, huh. So, so I, I, th- I, thought, I thought it was really interesting, especially relevant to them kind of already having a lower f- efficiency compared to like well, fastballs. I'm, I'm pretty uneducated about cutters. What, what do you think the range of gyro for things that people call cutters is? Pretty wide. I would say, uh, I'd probably say like 70 to 85%. I don't okay. know if you, I don't know what you, if you guys would say another range. I'd say even, I'd say sometimes even lower. Like yeah, get, it can be lower than 70. Yeah, so so Bauer's slider is 65 or something like that. Yeah. So that's yeah. getting into that overlap area, right? Where, where um, and, and I think, you know, what people call it probably depends mostly on how well it works. Like the cutter is a, a subtle motion, whereas that slider takes off. So to, I, I, I think that maybe the difference, in, and that, that's a frustrating thing looking at the data is pitch characterization yeah. becomes such yeah. a big deal in all of this. Um, so I almost feel like we should take all the pitches and sort them by gyro angle and then try to look at it. Nice. I, I thought about asking you, I thought about asking you if you had any thoughts on MLB AM's classification methods. I, I have a pretty good idea of how to do it, but it, yeah, if you were just going to propose, let's <clears> toss all that out and then just plot on like two dimensions, just gyro angle and like see movement and then classify pitches. Yeah. Um, Cause it seemed like you're almost pushing for that. Yeah, no, I, th- I think seam stuff is very helpful classifying pitches. I've already seen it. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it filters out some of the subtleties that we used to suffer with by just looking at where the ball went. Yeah. I was amazed uh, the first time I realized that a computer was saying that that's a, that's a slider. But yeah. I think we can even do better than that now that we have these two independent measurements of the axis. I, I was going to ask you, um, probably, probably wrap up pretty soon, but I was going to ask you, what's your... I mean, I don't know if it's something top secret. What, what's your saber paper kind of uh, planned on, and, and and how's how's that going? 
Um, I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm tr still trying to figure out what it's about. I'm fortunate <laughs> that they haven't demanded it from me yet. Um, I, I have some collaborators that are doing their own thing and uh, need to steer clear of them. But um, I, I've gone back and forth today about it being about sliders. And I'm, I'm currently thinking maybe it's going to be about sliders. But it's going to use the same stuff. It's, it's going to be an extension of what you guys wrote and what we wrote. It's, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be super new ground. It's going to probably be about different pitches. Right okay. Sweet. Nothing's top secret. Uh, and that's my problem is I haven't kept anything secret. And <laughs> I am the cow that you get the milk for free from. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Or, or, or you're finally giving the internet a red herring. You've been so open and transparent. <laughs> and now, now everyone's like, okay, what's, what's bar got now? Okay. Sliders. And then yeah. you see really come out with something else. Yeah. Come out with team shifted batted balls. <laughs> that's just a head fake, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that. I'm, I'm not very good at being devious. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, my last question. I was going to ask you about your uh, beer brewing background. What, what, you, what you got? How long you been brewing for? And what, what, you, what's your usual uh, recipe? Uh, so, I'm glad you asked <laughs> uh, because it hit me. I was thinking about you know. I'd say right on my site that I'm, I'm also into beer brewing. And uh, I was thinking, what do these things have in common? And I realized it's almost the same. If you ask brewers for information, they will hand you all, you know, I do it this way and this is the right way to do it. And nobody has any idea what, you know, what works and what doesn't. It seems like, I know there's, you can go to school for this stuff and I'm sure that, that, that there's a lot of science, but I find that there's a lot of hand waving and, uh, and there's a lot of art to it, obviously. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I brew a lot. I brew big, I, I brew 10 gallons at a time. And, uh, you know, I live in Utah. The beer here sucks. Yeah. And, and, uh, so Brady and I have drank beer in Utah. I remember when I, when I came to visit for Thanksgiving, I didn't know about the 4% rule. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it's funny. I, I have a, I have a companion blog on beer and, uh, mm -hmm. you might've noticed it. And one of the things I have there is you're a tourist in Utah. You're it's the opposite of anywhere else you go. You ask them what's in bottles, not what's on tap. Exactly. Yeah. Beer yeah. Sucks. Blah, it has to. So yeah. So uh, that, that's hard to get through people's heads. And it's, it's always painful for me to see tourists come in and, and ask what's on tap. And it's just like, oh, no. I know. So, yeah. But I'm going to, uh, you know, since you asked, uh, Saison's my, my favorite. I, I recently started making hazy IPA. I really like that a lot. Ooh. I got a quarter. Um, I make Christmas beer quite often. Um, and, oh, um, my, my big thing is lately is blondes. And I think blonde is a blank canvas and you can add anything to it you want. So... I've done coffee. I'm doing dry hopping right now. And I like cucumbers and jalapeno. It's excellent. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Interesting. Stop by sometime, guys. I'll hook you up. Yeah. Definitely. I make more than I can drink without killing myself. Definitely. <laughs> Sounds great. And, and, and by the way, by the way, guys, our, our news feed, uh, our YouTube news feed is now being used as a job board because I think someone asked Codify if they're taking interns. Let's so, go. <laughs> oh, let's go. So, so I we, think I reached, heard that he is. So. <laughs> we've reached, yeah, we've reached, uh, yeah, we've reached a new high on the, on the podcast. Yep. Let's go. Oh, no, I'm all black. There we go. Well, thanks for coming on, Barton. That yeah. was awesome. That was really, really uh, good. Learned I appreciate myself. you guys inviting me. Uh, you know, I think some people might um, worry that we compete, and I, and I know we don't. You know, I, I, I feel like um, we're on the same page about trying to learn more about this. And uh, I've enjoyed, I, I mentioned this to Kyle a while ago, back when nobody believed what I was saying, Kyle was like, hey, I'd like to hear what you have to say. And I, I will always be thankful for that. I think it, it kicked us off. Yeah. So 
uh, it's nice to meet you guys and, and get to talk about my two favorite things in the world. So definitely, definitely. <laughs> absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Bart. I'll definitely uh, keep asking you questions in your DMs as well. So <laughs> yeah. excellent. We'll do it. Thanks for coming on. Well, okay. yeah. Yeah. Peace Thanks. out, guys. Take care. Bye bye.